let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your blessing upon us this morning with the beautiful hymns that we've sung, the Bible reading that we've had. And Lord, may we still our hearts and minds now and allow your Holy Spirit to teach us your truth this morning, that you'd be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah, the, this morning we're looking at the authority of God's word. The authority of God's word. Do you know that mankind has always had a fascination about things to come? Man has always wanted to know ahead of time what's going to happen. And uh, when we think about that truth, it's amazing because you know that we can't even deal with the problems we're facing now, amen? And yet we're worried about the times to come. And you find even in the earliest chapters of the Bible, you see people wanting to know about the future. Now, God in his grace has revealed to us certain events and, and we, we, we know about his agenda. Now, God's word has been proved to be reliable. It's been proved to be true and genuine because it contains a multitude of prophecies that can be examined for understanding and instruction. It contains prophecies that have already been fulfilled to the letter. But when men and women go beyond or they go outside of what is written in the word of God, they're placing themselves in the position of being deluded, especially through the workings of Satan, through his demonic army. Now, Jesus was very clear when it came to the word of God. He said in Matthew 5, 7, he said, Think not that I am to come to destroy the law or the prophets, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Revelation 22:18 says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book of God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 4.2 says, You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. And uh, God gave Israel specific commands. I'm going to read those in a moment. But it's come came to my attention this, this, this week that, that a few years ago, uh, a missions team came from another country to Australia and they set up a whole tent in this mission church and they were teaching people how to read cards about their future. And uh, this is true. You can go on the internet and find it. They were dealing out the... They were basically tarot cards, telling people no word of God was being preached. They're just encouraging people to look into their future, to find out what they could know about their lives. And... Uh, we, we, it was a terrible thing. It's, it's, it's one of those things you go, wow, how can people even fall for such thing? But the people do. Now, the word of God is our authority. And we're not to add anything to it and we're not to take anything away from it. And we're especially not to, to add extra prophecies and, and revealings, extra words from God. Now, does that mean we can't go into a shop and buy a good Christian book? No, it doesn't mean that. Now, Charles McIntosh, he, he wrote about the, the authority of the Scripture, and I'll just be patient with me. I'll read this for you. He says, we, offer, we desire to offer you a few earnest words on the subject which we believe to be of commanding interest and importance. It is this. 
the divine sufficiency and supreme authority of Holy Scripture and the urgent need of submitting ourselves absolutely to its guidance in all things. In thus stating our thesis, we would not have you to suppose for a moment that we undervalue human writings in their proper place. Nothing is further from our thoughts. Indeed, it would be ill become us to speak disparagingly of a branch of Christian ministry so largely used of God in all ages of his church's history and especially in this our own day. Now, this is written nearly 100 years ago. No, beloved, we prize human writings more than we can attempt to say. We receive them as streams from the fountainhead. Further, we would add that we have rarely met anyone who claimed to despise Christian writings on the plea of reading nothing but the Bible, who was not crude, shallow and contracted. We might as just well say that we would not listen to a brother speaking to us in the assembly as refuse to read what God had given to him to write, provided we had time to do so. How often has a book or tract been made a rich blessing to the soul, either in bringing one to Christ or building up or helping them on in, in God? How often may we have read some passage of scripture and seen nothing in it until the Lord used some paragraph in human writing to unlock its treasures to our hearts? None of us are self-sufficient. We are dependent upon one another. We grow by that which every joint supplies we all need the helps which God has set in the body for our common profit and blessing. Having said this, to guard against misunderstanding and to put human writings in their right place, we return to the special object of this brief paper. There is but one supreme and paramount authority, and that is the word of God. And all human writings are interesting as references, valuable as aids, but they are worthless Yea, mischievous as authority. Scripture is all sufficient. And we want absolutely nothing in the way of guidance and authority beyond what we possess in the sacred canon of Scripture. And we see a day today we live in where people are just saying anything, preaching anything. They're adding to the Word of God. They're taking away from the Word of God. They don't teach the truth of the Word of God anymore. The authority of God's word has just been pushed out the window because man just wants to live for himself. Now, God gave Israel specific commands. Now, in Deuteronomy 18, verse 9, it says, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divin divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations the Lord thy God doth drive them out before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times, and unto diviners, but un as for thee... The Lord thy God has suffered thee, has not suffered thee to do so. We know Israel wasn't satisfied with the program that God had revealed to them, and they consulted with all these demonic workers of witchcraft and sorcery. And we don't have time to go through each in detail today, but they are a great benefit to anyone who wants to study them. 
But just as a brief explanation, God warned Israel about these practices and what they were. In verses 10 and 11 there, he said, There should not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through fire, or that uses divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. You know, we, we read there of human sacrifice, especially the young passing through fire. What's society done today? We have young people, if, if people aren't happy to have a baby, they can just deal with it. They can just get rid of it any way they like. Divination, that was, that was a way of foretelling the, the future and, and uh, uh, with magical ways they would cut open an animal and look at its insides and, and, and tell people, oh, this is, this is the way you should go. Observers of times, that, that, that was guiding a person's life by studying the stars. We see every paper you pick up today has stars in it. The enchanter, those who cast spells, they're under demonic control and they, they sought to bring other people under the same control. Then there's the witch, and that word simply means one who knows. The charmer, they're like the magicians of Egypt who could work miracles by satanic power. Consulted with familiar spirits, these people willingly surrendered themselves on a personal level to, con to the control of demons. Today they're called spirit mediums. The wizard, that's just the masculine term for a witch, someone who knows. Then there's a necromancer and they receive their information from people who have already died. And this is regularly practiced by, by Israel. And they wanted to find out knowledge. They wanted to find out events in the future apart from God's word to guide them. And we see that's rife today. Many are just preaching and teaching whatever they think. They're having spirits tell them what to say. They're prophesying of things that don't come true. And they aren't going to come true. Why? Because they're adding to the revealed word of God. We live in a day where that is the truth. That people are living. It was satanic and demonic in those days. And I'll put it to you, it's satanic and demonic in our days. It was a way of trying to know the future, what to do, how to walk outside of God's revealed will through his word. And we live in a day where religion not only adds to the revealed word of God, it preaches vain philosophies of man ahead of the revealed, completed truth of God's will for his people through his word. There are many today in pulpits claiming to predict future events, claiming to, to, to make people's legs grow. Speaking in languages no one can understand. And as I said, it was a year ago, teams of Christians did come to this country as missionaries in Sydney for a huge conference, and that's what they were teaching people how to do these things. That's what was offered. Readings and prophecies of all sorts. Witchcraft. Practice under the disguise of Christianity. Now these practices weren't just Old Testament. They were in the New as well. Remember Simon the Sorcerer, Book of Acts. 
and all, the way, all around the world today, this type of evil is the main source of religious experience or practice with those who do not have a personal relationship with Christ as well as being practiced by those who claim to do it in his name. You know, Satan's agendas, brothers and sisters, it's alive. It, it is working as it was from the very beginning in the days of old. Man's mind has been kept from the truth through the deceitful ways of the devil. And the closer we get to the end time on this earth as we know it, the more demonic activity we are seeing. John 12, 12 says, Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth he hath but a short time. You enter any mainstream Christian bookstore these days and they're full of material that promotes the very things we've just looked at. How to heal people. How to speak in different tongues. How to tell the future. Doctrines of the devil. They're deceived and according to 1 Timothy 4.1 they're deceiving themselves. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now God in his word has made it abundantly clear that when the New Testament was completed, he is not making any more new revelations or predictions. The door was closed on that by God because his revelation was completed in his son the Lord Jesus Christ 1 Corinthians 13:10 JD Pentecost he wrote about such demonic influence he said God and Satan are in a battle for the minds of men it is the mind that Satan wants for if he can control the mind he eventually can control the will a battle goes on in the area of the mind as Satan seeks to subject us to these influences whereby we set aside the authority of the word of God and seek something or someone else as a guide in our conduct. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, we know, is the, the great chapter on the necessity of, of Christian love, charity, and its prominence in the life of a believer. Now, it's the connection between the chapter before it, chapter 12, which tells us of the spiritual gifts, and chapter 14 on how they, to, they were practiced. Now, if we do not have sincere Christian love working in the church, we're going to be filled with envy, we're going to be filled with jealousy, and we're going to be filled with strife. And true Christian love brings unity to the body of Christ and it brings glory to God. And Satan does not want a church to live out its purpose according to God's word. He's happy for churches to add everything to it. He's happy for people to be entertained in the flesh. But when it comes to the truth of God's word, he doesn't like that. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the world looked at how God worked through the Roman church with its popery, claiming to be the only way to God. With its false doctrines and its laws regarding salvation and the souls of man. 
Today we see the same thing, but it's under a different disguise. Never before have the things we've just seen clearly from God's word regarding how the devil deceives people from the truth operating under the facade of the Christian church. With all its extra biblical revelations, with all its demonic practices, Satan is parading a new way, a new worship, a new word of God in this world. Amen? That's what's happening. One that appeals to man's intellect, man's will, and man's spirit. It's the new way to do church. That's what they say. And it comes with new words, new revelations, and it's a new spirit. And let me tell you, it's, it's strange fire being offered to God. Many says it's, many, many may say, well, it's man's way, and, and I understand that it's man's way, but the truth is nothing has changed because the preacher got it right in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 when he said, the thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath already been, uh, been already of old time, which was before us. See, what many see as man's way is nothing more than Satan controlling the ways of man. The authority of God's word is being replaced with the authority of man controlled by Satan trying to thwart the plan, the purpose, and the authority of God's word for this world. Now in 1 Corinthians 31, Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I've become a sounding brass or a tinkling timbre. Now the original Greek, it says, If I speak. Now the word if speaks, that's given us a connection with the future. See, Paul knew well that he was not immune from the wiles of the devil. And if he knew that, how much more we should know it. Amen? And if he could speak with tongues of men and angels and not filled with the fullness of God's love, then his message would be nothing. It would be powerless because it's not the tongue that counts, it's the heart. And there are many who preach with the tongues of age. In other words, that's just telling us eloquent speech. But the message is empty. Why? Because the truth is not in it. The truth of God's love is absent. Verses 2 and 3. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and not, have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, that profity me nothing. See, Paul's saying one may have the ability to foretell what will happen in the future or the past, but if it's not in love, it means nothing. See, all mysteries in the New Testament, a mystery isn't something mysterious, it's something that's, um, how do we put it? It's something not known in the Old Testament. It's, a, it's, a, it's an image made known through the perfect law of liberty, the truth and purpose of God made known only to believers through the Holy Spirit. Now, all knowledge there, if one could have an, all the intelligent understanding of, of all the facts concerning the things of God, and, and there's no godly love, no true love, Paul says, well, I'm nothing. 
Paul says if he had all faith to overcome the difficulties and trials in life, that's what the mountains represent, there'd be no value to God at all. This isn't saving faith, this is faith that overcomes the difficult times. See, all the faith, there is nothing at all without true Christian love. Do you know that the most valuable souls in the body of Christ are those who love the way God does? Those who love the deepest and love the most. Now, God is love. We know that. But isn't it great? The truth is the only reason we love him is because he first loved us. Also, one can do all the self-sacrificing they like, but it means nothing without God's love. Even if one is martyred, it means nothing. See, one can have all these gifts, and if there's no charity, they add up to nothing. Now, we're told the, the character of true Christian love in verses 4 to 7. Charity suffers long, is kind, charity envieth not, vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, beareth all things, believes all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity, or love, as one commentator put it, is a divine imperative if we're going to render the stewardship that's acceptable to God. You see, true believers, true Christians are Christ-like. And if we're Christ-like, we're not going to send a message of confusion, are we? We're not going to send a message that people can't understand. If we're Christ-like, we're not going to try and add the world to our worship. We're going to worship the opposite to the way the world wants us to live. See, Christ was God revealed in the flesh and Jesus was God's love in the flesh. And Jesus was long-suffering. He was kind. He, it was true love. See, true love's not in a hurry to punish. True love's patient. And I'm glad for that one, amen? True love is thoughtful. It's kind. It's not envious. It's not jealous. And envious means both of those there. But true love doesn't vaunt. It's not puffed up. It doesn't run around thinking it's better than anyone else. It doesn't put on a show. And all this is speaking about the local church. Vaunt means to feel superior over others in knowledge and wisdom. Spiritually, I'm better than other people. Why? Because I've got these gifts, you see. I can do all these things that, that, that others can't do. None of this is the Spirit of Christ, and you won't find any of it when you come to the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, true love doesn't have bad manners. It doesn't act in bad taste. It's, that, uh, um, it, it's not full of self-seeking or self-interest. It's not easily provoked. In other words, it thinketh no evil. That, that's the word to reckon. True love doesn't keep a logbook of hurts ready to pay back later when the time's ready. True love forgives before an apology is given, even if one is never given. It finds no joy, true love, in the wrong of others, regardless of, of who the sinner is. Love finds all it needs in truth. And Jesus is the truth, so love rejoices in truth. All wrong, all unrighteousness comes from sin and Satan, and it's the opposite of the truth. 
You see, love cannot find a reason for rejoicing in anything that is wrong. Now, verses 8 to 10 tells us that for, because of what was spoken, you were sometimes darkness, but now ye are in light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the, this is Ephesians 5, 8. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. That's what we're to do as Christians. We're not to act like the world. We're to keep away from what God tells us to keep away from. God's word says, don't add anything to my word. Don't take anything away from my word. Love beareth all things, verse 7 tells us, believes all things, hopes all things, endure all things. Now, to bear, to bear, that's the word stego, and it means to support what is placed upon it or to cover what is placed beneath it. So what is covered is protected by that which covers it. And we have believeth and hopeth and endure speak to us, not as believing a lie, but trying to see the best. Not to have undue suspicions and hope and expect the best, but true love adds up all the things and the result is for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Now we come to, to the main part, verses 8 to 10. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there shall be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. What we see here is the internal compared with the temporal. Love abides for eternity. Now the Greek word for faileth means to fall. Now, what, what falls is no longer at work, amen, the way it was. Love will never cease to be at work. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. God has always been, God will always be God, and he will never stop loving, amen. But prophecies, they shall fail. They will cease. And the Greek word here, you've got a bit of a lesson coming, is katageo, done away done away it's a verb so it's an action word so kata means down agio means idle in other words to reduce to inactivity now who did not understand that amen i'm glad you did prophecies have ceased to add and prophesy extra to the word of God is to do exactly what we did read in, in Deuteronomy is to add to the word of God. Is that true? That's simple. Now, if that's the fact, what spirit is behind that? It's not the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of the devil. The divine truth is the time would come when prophecies would be reduced to an inactive work. In other words, they would cease to function. Look at verse 10. When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2 says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past under the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Now, the Bible that we have 
the 66 books in the Bible and make sure your Bible, if your Bible's got 66 books, make sure it's got every verse of the 66 books because if it hasn't, it's not the right Bible. Okay, they take a lot out. One of the verses they took out in Acts, I can't remember when Philip was talking to the Ethiopian eunuch and the Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You don't find that in many Bibles today. But what we have, everything we need to know about the future, we've already got, amen? That's the point I'm trying to make. You say, man, you've gone a long way from Deuteronomy to there through all the love. Listen, God loves us enough to give us the truth. And he's told us what will cease and what will fail and what will stop. And he's telling us what will abide. Faith, hope, love, his love. There is absolutely no need for new prophecies today. We have the complete written word of God and anything prophesied outside of that, I'll put it to you, is demonic and it is evil. And it's of the devil. Now God has been silent speakingly, verbally, for some 2,000 years. You know how he speaks today? Through his word. Hey, I'd be pretty worried if... Uh, if President Biden told me he heard God speaking to him this morning, wouldn't you? He speaks through his word. His word is our authority, not any extra biblical revelations. Why? Well, I'm going to give you an outline. It's not mine. It's one I've had of Oliver Green's for many, many years. But if you study it, you'll be blessed for it. First of all, Genesis 3.15, the virgin birth of the Lord, the seed of the woman, was prophesied. Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son born of a woman made under the law. Fulfilled. God did exactly what he promised Adam he would do. In Genesis 12, 2 and 3, God revealed to Abraham he would be the head of a nation with which God would be identified through the seed of Abraham that the Saviour would be born. Acts 3.25, fulfilment of prophecy. 3, Genesis 49.10, God revealed to Jacob that Jesus would be of the tribe of Judah. John 4.22, salvation is of the Jews. Jesus was, was of the Jews, prophecy fulfilled. 2 Samuel 7.12-14, foretold the Saviour would come through the line of David. Prophecies fulfilled. Mary was told in Luke 1.32 her son would sit on the throne of David. Micah 5.2, revelation of Jesus' birthplace, Bethlehem Ephrata. Luke 2.4, Jesus born in Bethlehem. Prophecy fulfilled. Malachi 3.1 said Jesus would have a forerunner. Matthew 3.1 says in those days came John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Prophecy fulfilled. Zechariah 11.12, the exact price for which Jesus would be sold, 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, Matthew 26, Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Prophecy fulfilled. Zechariah 9.9 tells us a saviour would ride into Jerusalem on a young donkey. Luke 19.29, Jesus rode in on a on a young colt, prophecy fulfilled. The psalmist, God revealed to the psalmist the manner of death of Jesus on the cross in Psalm 22. 
It said not one bone of his body would be broken. Psalm 34, John 19, 36, prophecy fulfilled. What more does God need to reveal to us? His provision, his, his presentation, his finished work of redemption in Jesus Christ has been fulfilled. There's no need for new revelations. There's no need to speak in unknown tongues. There's no need for new prophecies. Why? Because they have become inactive. They have ceased to work. Now, now, next verse says, Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Do I don't have to explain that now, do I? It's quite clear, isn't it? That's an easy one. I don't need to help anyone understand that. We ask the Holy Spirit and he'll speak to our hearts and he'll, use, he'll easily help us understand that they're inactive. They've finished. They've ceased. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, as I studied this, it doesn't appear knowledge is a sign gift such as the tongues, the prophecy and the healings. Knowledge is not like prophecy. It's not the result of a revelation given supernaturally. Because uh, knowledge can be acquired by all of us. Knowledge enables someone to teach. Paul could give knowledge. Knowledge didn't depend on the completion of scriptures. But concerning things spiritual, all true knowledge since the completion of the word of God comes from the word of God. You look at many sayings the world likes to use and you can find find the, the source of it in Scripture itself. And whether we get through personal study, through the reading of the Bible, the teaching and the preaching of the Word, but even one day, knowledge will cease. You know, when we see our Lord and Saviour, we will be just like Him. We, we, we will have a perfect knowledge. Verse 9 says, For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but then when, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. You know, in the original text, the emphasis is on the words in part, meaning a temporary nature and, and a partial scope of, of the supernatural gifts in verse 8. But charity, God's love, never fails. But the supernatural gifts will. They will cease. Why? Because they are in part no apocrypha no book of mormon no extra biblical revelations anything that's added to or taken away from the completed work of god is an act of the devil it's demonic and it's an abomination to god almighty see we don't need signs and wonders today to prove how much god loves us do we, we we've been shown it was a cross I want your saviour die, but not only did he take the penalty of all the sin of the world on him, not only did he die, he rose again for victory. We don't need signs in this day of grace when we have in our hands the completed word of God. Whosoever will can be saved by hearing, believing and receiving the finished work of Jesus Christ as it's proclaimed, written in the word, that which is perfect. 
You see, God is God. God cannot lie. And we believe what God says in his words for that reason alone. And the word of God tells us that anyone who refuses to believe God's word makes God out to be a liar. 1 John 5, 9 says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believed not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Do you know you have eternal life this morning? Amen. Do you know why? Because the completed word of God tells you. You don't need any extra truth to make you feel better. You don't need the philosophies of men or strange languages to prove that you're more spiritual than anyone else. Now, the word understood in verse 11, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, the word understood means felt. So there's three things there. I spake, I felt, I thought. But Paul says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. And that illustrates the bringing in of what? That which is perfect. The tense of the Greek verb here signifies that, that, that uh, the, the abiding, the verb I have put away is the same as what is in verses 8 and 10. Meaning it is reduced to inactivity. You know, the sign gifts were used at a time of the transition of Christianity and in the time of the apostles, but it has now ceased because we have what? Tell me. The completed word of God. Now listen, has God stopped working miracles? No. Has God stopped healing people? No. He hasn't. Do you know what the greatest miracle of all is? That God will come and live in someone like me. Amen? That's a, is there a greater miracle than that? The moment I believed on Christ, he came in and lived on me and I need nothing else but the word of God to know how much he loves me. Know what I need to do in my Christian walk. But the supernatural signs and wonders have, according to the word of God, they've become inactive. They're inactive. We don't need them. Because as believers, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we should all know this one very short verse, for we walk by faith, not by sight. In Romans 14, 23, it's a, a verse that uh, convicted me once and changed my life, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Verse 12 says to us, for though... For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. For I know in part, but then shall I know even as I also I am known. Now this is referring back to the spiritual principality, uh, principles of verse 10. It's the believer's future state when the church is presented to Christ. But that truth there also refers to that transition period and the first day of Christianity when tongues and, and prophecy and healings and miracles were used. 
but it points to that time as partial vision. Now we have the complete word of God. We have clear vision. Now we see through a glass darkly. Now in the original it's the mirror. And the word now, an adverb, it's arti, it means up to the immediate present. In other words, that's up to the very moment Paul was writing this letter. And the word in, the preposition in, dia, means by means of. In other words, by means of a mirror. Up to this present moment, we see darkly. This is Paul's time. But when that which is perfect is come, we see clearly as face to face. You know, when you stand beside someone and, and you're looking at a mirror and you look at the person's reflection in the mirror, you don't see them really as they are compared if you just turn and look at each other face to face. And the word darkly is, an, is, a, is the word enigma. That means a riddle. But then face to face. See, when we look into God's word, we're speaking face to face with our great God and Savior. Why? Because the word is God. The believer possesses the Holy Spirit who dictated the word of God to holy men of old who penned it down, 2 Peter 1. And he then is our teacher and we can know the deep things of God without any outside influence or any outside extras. We no longer... Verse 10 says, God has revealed them to us by his spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.10, for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. See, as a believer, we no longer know in part. We've got the complete word of God and we can see and speak face to face with him through the word. I, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I also am known. And the truth here just reaffirms the divine principle in verse 10. There's a difference between the two verbs of know. First is ginsoko. The second is a compound verb and is epinoskos. And it's to know in full. So Paul's saying, at the present, I'm in the process of knowing. But I only know in part. Then when that which is perfect has come, I'll know fully even as I am fully known. You see, we can and we should know God through that which is perfect. Amen? His holy word. You want a relationship with God? Get into the word. You want to know where to go? Get into the word. You want to know how to, how, how to love? Get into the word. In the last verse, now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And now, so Paul says, I'm going to bring this to a logical end. Considering everything, it's faith, hope, and charity that abide. They haven't ceased. They haven't been made inactive. They abide in the heart of the believer but the greatest of that is charity, the love of God. You know, God is not the author of confusion, brothers and sisters. He's a God of love. He's not the author of extra-biblical revelations. They're demonic delusions promoted as a work by, of God by the devil and his army. You know why? 
to keep people from coming to a true knowledge of the salvation they can have through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the love of God in action. And if you're here today and you've placed your faith and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you eternally and, and, and you've admitted that he is the only way, the truth and the life, then you're saved. You need nothing extra to prove that to you. The love of God in action. Romans 5, and I'll finish with this. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The authority of God's word is finished, complete, and in our hands. Don't be deceived by the devil. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there was a lot there this morning, but Lord, your Holy Spirit sorts the truth out for us, and we're so thankful for that. And Lord, we know many people are deceived. And Lord, you love them. You want to see them come to a saving knowledge of the truth of your Son and your Word. And Lord, we just pray and ask that you would give us the wisdom we need to be able to share the true doctrines of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that anyone can have in him without any extra work whatsoever. Lord, so many are deceived. So many are being led astray by false doctrines. Lord, may we stand true to your word. May you bring in our path this week someone we can share the truth with. And that we be ready always to give an answer of the hope within us to the glory of your name. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.